Chapter Two of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Treats of Oliver Twist's Growth, Education, and Board. For the next eight or ten months, Oliver was the victim of a systematic course of treachery and deception. He was brought up by hand. The hungry and destitute situation of the infant orphan was duly reported by the workhouse authorities to the parish authorities. The parish authorities acquired with dignity of the workhouse authorities whether there was no female then domiciled in the house who was in a situation to impart to Oliver Twist the consolation and nourishment of which he stood in need. The workhouse authorities replied with humility that there was not. Upon this the parish authorities magnanimously and humanely resolved that Oliver should be farmed, or in other words, that he should be dispatched to a branch workhouse some three miles off, where twenty or thirty other juvenile offenders against the poor laws rolled about the floor all day without the inconvenience of too much food or too much clothing, under the parental superintendence of an elderly female who received the culprits at and for the consideration of sevenpence halfpenny per small head per week. The sevenpence halfpenny's worth per week is a good round diet for a child. A great deal may be got for sevenpence halfpenny, quite enough to overload its stomach and make it uncomfortable. The elderly female was a woman of wisdom and experience. She knew what was good for children. She had a very accurate perception of what was good for herself. So she appropriated the greater part of the weekly stipend to her own use and consigned the rising parochial generation an even shorter allowance than was originally provided for them, thereby finding in the lowest depth a deeper still, and proving herself a very great experimental philosopher. Everybody knows the story of another experimental philosopher who had a great theory about a horse being able to live without eating, and who demonstrated it so well that he got his own horse down to a straw a day, and would unquestionably have rendered him very spirited and rampacious an animal on nothing at all, if he had not died four-and-twenty hours before he used to have his first comfortable bait of air. Unfortunately for the experimental philosophy of the female, to whose protecting care Oliver Twist was delivered over, a similar result usually attended the operation of her system, for at the very moment when the child had contrived to exist upon the smallest possible portion of the weakest possible food, it did perversely happen in eight-and-a-half cases out of ten, either that it sickened from want and cold, or fell into the fire from neglect, or got half smothered by accident, in any one of which cases the miserable little being was usually summoned into another world, and there gathered to the fathers it had never known in this. Occasionally, when there was some more than usually interesting inquest upon a parish child who had been overlooked in turning up a bedstead, or inadvertently scolded to death when there happened to be a washing, though the latter accident was very scarce, if anything approaching to a washing of being of a rare occurrence in the farm, the jury would take it into their heads to ask troublesome questions, or the parishioners would rebelliously affix their signatures to a remonstrance. But these impertinences were speedily checked by the evidence of the surgeon and the testimony of the beadle, the former of whom would always open the body and found nothing inside, which is very probable indeed and the latter of whom invariably swore whatever the parish wanted, which was very self-devotional. Besides, the board made periodical pilgrimages to the farm, 
and always sent the beadle the day before to say they were going the children were neat and clean to behold when they went and what more would the people have it cannot be expected that this system of farming would produce any very extraordinary or luxuriant crop oliver twist's ninth birthday found him a pale thin child somewhat diminutive in stature and decidedly small in circumference but nature or inheritance had implanted a good sturdy spirit in oliver's breast it had plenty of room to expand thanks to the spare diet of the establishment perhaps to this circumstance may be attributed his having any ninth birthday at all but this as it may however was his ninth birthday and he was keeping it in the coal cellar with a select party of two other young gentlemen who after participating with him in a sound thrashing had been locked up for atrociously presuming to be hungry when mrs mann the good lady of the house was unexpectedly startled by the apparition of mr bumble the beadle driving to undo the wicket of the garden gate good gracious is that you mr bumble sir said mrs mann thrusting her head out of the window in a well-affected ecstasies of joy susan take oliver and them two brats upstairs and wash them directly my heart alive mr bumble how glad i am to see you surely now mr bumble was a fat man and choleric so instead of responding to this open-hearted salutation in kindred spirit he gave a little wicked a tremendous shake then he bestowed upon it a kick which would have emanated from no leg but a beadle's law i only think said mrs mann running out for the three boys had been removed by this time i only think of that that i should have forgotten the gate was bolted on the inside on account of them dear children walk in sir walk in pray mr bumble do sir although this invitation was accompanied with a curtsey that might have softened the heart of a church warden it by no means mollified the beadle you think this is respectful or proper conduct mrs mann inquired mr bumble grasping his cane to keep the parish officers awaiting at your garden gate when they come here upon parochial business with the parochial orphans are you aware mrs mann that you are as i may say a parochial delegate and a stipendiary i'm sure mr bumble that i was only telling one or two of the dear children as is so fond of you it was you a coming replied mrs mann with great humility mr bumble had a great idea of his oratorical powers and his importance he had displayed the one and vindicated the other he relaxed well well mrs mann he replied in a calmer tone it may be as you say it may lead the way in mrs mann for i come on business and i have something to say mrs mann ushered the beadle into a small parlour with a brick floor placed a seat for him and officiously deposited his cocked hat and cane on the table before him mr bumble wiped from his forehead the perspiration which his walk had engendered glanced complacently at the cocked hat and smiled yes he smiled beadles are but men and mr bumble smiled now don't you be offended at what i'm going to say observed mrs mann with a captivating sweetness you've had a long walk you know or i wouldn't mention it now will you take a little drop of something mr bumble not a drop not a drop said mr bumble waving his right hand in a dignified but placid manner i think you will said mrs mann who had just noticed the tone of the refusal and the gesture that had accompanied it just a little drop with cold water and a lump of sugar <laughs> mr bumble coughed now just a little drop said mrs mann persuasively what is it inquired the beadle why it's what i'm obliged to keep a little of in the house to be put in the blessed infant's daffy when they ain't well mr bumble replied mrs mann as she opened a corner cupboard 
put down a bottle and glass. It's gin. I'll not deceive you, Mr. B. It's gin. Do you give the children the daffy, Mrs. Man? inquired Bumble, following with his eyes the interesting process of mixing. Ah, bless em, that I do, dear as it is, replied the nurse. Couldn't see him suffer before my very eyes, you know, sir. No, said Mr. Bumble approvingly. No, you could not. You are a humane woman, Mrs. Man. Here she set down the glass. I shall take an early opportunity of mentioning it to the board, Mrs. Man. He drew it towards him. You feel as a mother, Mrs. Man. He stirred the gin and water. I, I drink your health with cheerfulness, Mrs. Man. And he swallowed half of it. And now about business, said the beadle, taking out a leather and pocket book. The child that was half baptised Oliver Twist is nine year old today. Bless him, interposed Mrs. Mann, inflaming her left eye with the corner of her apron. And notwithstanding an offered reward of ten pound, which was afterwards increased to twenty pound, notwithstanding the most superlative and I must say supernatural exertions on the part of this parish, said Bumble, we have never been able to discover who his father or what was his mother's settlement or condition beadle drew himself up with great pride and said i invented it you mr bumble i mrs ma'am we name our fondlings in alphabetical order the last was an s swubble i named him this was a t twist i named him the next one comes will be unwin and the next vilkins i've got names ready made to the end of the alphabet and all the way through it again when we come to z why well, you're quite a literary character sir said mrs mann well well said the beadle evidently gratified with the compliment perhaps i may be perhaps i may be mrs mann he finished the gin and water and added oliver being now too old to remain here the board have determined to have him back into the house i've come out myself to take him there so let me see him at once i'll fetch him directly said mrs mann leaving the room for that purpose oliver having had by this time as much as the outer coat of dirt which encrusted his face and hands removed as could be scrubbed off in one washing was led into the room by his benevolent protectress make a bow to the gentleman oliver said mrs mann oliver made a bow which was divided between the beadle on the chair and the cocked hat on the table will you go along with me oliver said mr bumble in a majestic voice Oliver was about to say that he would go along with anybody with great readiness when glancing upward he caught sight of mrs mann who had got behind the beadle's chair and was shaking her fist at him with a furious countenance he took the hint at once for the fist had been too often impressed upon his body not to be deeply impressed upon his recollection will she go with me inquired poor oliver no she can't replied mr bumble but she'll come and see you sometimes this was no very great consolation to the child young as he was however he had sense enough to make a feint of feeling great regret at going away it was no very difficult matter for the boy to call tears to his eyes hunger and recent ill usage are great assistance if you want to cry and oliver cried very naturally indeed mrs mann gave him a thousand embraces and what oliver wanted a great deal more a piece of bread and butter lest he should seem too hungry when he got to the workhouse with a slice of bread in his hand and a little brown cloth parish cap on his head oliver was then led away by mr bumble from the wretched home where one kind word or look had never lighted in the gloom of his infant years 
and yet he burst into an agony of childish grief as the cottage gate closed after him wretched as were the little companions in misery he was leaving behind they were the only friends he had ever known and a sense of his loneliness in the great wide world sank into the child's heart for the first time mr bumble walked on with long strides little oliver firmly grasping his gold-laced cuff trotted beside him inquiring at the end of every quarter of a mile whether they were nearly there to these interrogations mr bumble returned very brief and snappish replies for the temporary blandness which gin and water awakens in some bosoms had by this time evaporated and he was once again a beadle oliver had not been within the walls of the workhouse a quarter of an hour and had scarcely completed the demolition of a second slice of bread when mr bumble who had handed him over to the care of an old woman returned and telling him it was a board night informed him that the board had said he was to appear before it forthwith not having a very clearly defined notion of what a live board was oliver was rather astounded by this intelligence and was not quite certain whether he ought to laugh or cry he had no time to think about the matter however mr bumble gave him a tap on the head with his cane to wake him up and another on the back to make him lively and bidding him to follow conducted him into a large whitewashed room where eight or ten fat gentlemen were sitting round a table at the top of the table seated in an armchair rather higher than the rest was a particularly fat gentleman with a very round red face bow to the board said bumble oliver brushed away two or three tears that were lingering in his eyes and seeing no board but the table fortunately bowed to that what's your name boy said the gentleman in the high chair oliver was frightened at the sight of so many gentlemen which made him tremble and the beadle gave him another tap behind which made him cry these two causes made him answer in a very low and hesitating voice whereupon a gentleman in a white waistcoat said he was a fool which was a capital way of raising his spirits and putting him quite at ease boy said the gentleman in the high chair listen to me you know you're an orphan i suppose what's that sir inquired poor oliver the boy's a fool i thought he was said the gentleman in the white waistcoat hush said the gentleman who had spoken first you know you've got no father and mother and you were brought up by the parish don't you yes sir oliver replied weeping bitterly what are you crying for inquired the gentleman in the white waistcoat to be sure it's very extraordinary what could the boy be crying for i hope you say your prayers every night said another gentleman in a gruff voice and pray for the people who feed you take care of you like a christian yes sir stammered the boy the gentleman who spoke last was unconsciously right it would have been very like a christian and a marvellously good christian too if oliver had prayed for the people who fed and took care of him but he hadn't because nobody had taught him well you have come here to be educated and brought a useful trade said the red-faced gentleman in the high chair so you'll begin to pick oakum to-morrow morning at six o'clock added the surly one in the white waistcoat from a combination of both these blessings in the one simple process of picking oakum oliver bowed low by the direction of the beadle and was then hurried away to a large ward where on a rough hard bed he sobbed himself to sleep what a novel illustration of the tender laws of england they let the paupers go to sleep 
poor oliver he little thought as he lay sleeping in happy unconsciousness of all around him that the board had that very day arrived at a decision which exercised the most material influence over his future fortunes but they had and this was it the members of the board were very sage deep philosophical men and when they came to turn their attention to the workhouse they found out at once what ordinary folks would never have discovered the poor people liked it it was a regular place of public entertainment for the poor classes a tavern where there was nothing to pay public breakfast dinner tea and supper all the year round a brick-and-mortar elysium where all was play and no work oh ho said the board looking very knowing we are the fellows to set this to rights we'll stop it all in no time so they established the rule that poor people should have the alternative for they would compel nobody not they of being starved by a gradual process in the house or by a quick one out of it with this view they contracted with the waterworks to lay on an unlimited supply of water and with a corn factor to supply periodically small quantities of oatmeal and issued three meals of thin gruel a day with an onion twice a week and a half roll on sunday they made a great many other wise and human regulations having references to the ladies which it is not necessary to repeat kindly undertook to divorce poor married people in consequence of the great expense of a suit in doctors commons and instead of compelling a man to support his family as they had therefore too done took his family away from him made him a bachelor there is no saying how many applicants for relief under these last two heads might have started up in all classes of society if it had not been coupled with the workhouse but the board were long-headed men and had provided for this difficulty the relief was inseparable from the workhouse and the gruel and that frightened people for the first six months after oliver twist was removed the system was in full operation it was rather expensive at first in consequence of the increase in the undertaker's bill and the necessity of taking in the clothes of all the paupers which fluttered loosely on their wasted shrunken forms after a week or two's gruel a number of workhouse inmates got thin as well as the paupers and the board were in ecstasies the room in which the boys were fed was a large stone hall with a copper at one end out of which the master dressed in an apron for the purpose and assisted by one or two women ladled the gruel at meal-times of this festive composition on each boy had one porringer and no more except on occasions of great public rejoicing when he had two ounces and a quarter of bread besides the bowls never wanted washing the boys polished them with their spoons till they shone again and when they had performed this operation which never took very long the spoons being nearly as large as the bowls they would sit staring at the copper with such eager eyes as if they could have devoured the very bricks of which it was composed employing themselves meanwhile in sucking their fingers most assiduously with the view of catching up any stray splashes of gruel that might have been cast thereon boys have generally excellent appetites oliver twist and his companions suffered the tortures of slow starvation for three months at last they got so voracious and wild with hunger that one boy who was tall for his age and hadn't been used to that sort of thing for his father had kept a small cookshop hinted darkly to his companions that unless he had another basin of gruel per diem 
he was afraid he might some night happen to eat the boy who slept next to him who happened to be a weakly youth of tender age he had wild hungry eyes and they implicitly believed him a council was held lots were cast who should walk up to the master after supper that evening and ask for more and it fell to oliver twist the evening arrived the boys took their places the master in his cook's uniform stationed himself at the copper his pauper assistants ranged themselves behind him the gruel was served out and a long grace was said over the short commons the gruel disappeared the boys whispered to each other and winked at oliver while his next neighbours nudged him child as he was he was desperate with hunger and reckless with misery he rose from the table and advancing to the master basin and spoon in hand said somewhat alarmed at his own temerity please sir i want some more the master was a fat healthy man but he turned very pale he gazed in stupefied astonishment on the small rebel for some seconds and then clung for support to the copper the assistants were paralysed with wonder, the boys with fear. What? said the master at length in a faint voice. Please, sir, replied Oliver, I want some more. The master aimed a blow at Oliver's head with a ladle, pinioned him in his arm, and shrieked aloud for the beadle. The board was sitting in solemn conclave when Mr. Bumble rushed into the room in great excitement, and addressing the gentleman in the high chair said, Mr. Limpkins, I beg your pardon, sir. Oliver Twist has asked for more. There was a general start. Horror was depicted on every countenance. For more, said Mr. Limpkins. Compose yourself, Bumble, and answer me distinctly. Do I understand that he asked for more after he had eaten the supper allotted by this dietary? He did, sir, replied Bumble. That boy will be hung, said the gentleman in the white waistcoat. I know that boy will be hung. Nobody controverted gentleman's opinion an animated discussion took place oliver was ordered into an instant confinement and a bill was next morning pasted on the outside of the gate offering a reward of five pounds to anybody who would take oliver twist off the hands of the parish in other words five pounds oliver twist were offered to any man or woman who wanted to apprentice to any trade business or calling never was i more convinced of anything in my life said the gentleman in the white waistcoat as he knocked at the gate and read the bill the next morning i never was more convinced of anything in my life than i am that that boy will come to be hung as i propose to show in the sequel whether the white-waisted gentleman was right or not i should perhaps mar the interest of this narrative supposing it to possess any at all if i ventured to hint just yet whether the life of oliver twist had this violent termination or no End of chapter 2